Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm an experienced registered yoga teacher with over 15 years of teaching experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. I strongly support and value the uniqueness of all individuals and provide a safe community where diversity is embraced. Through my mentorship and signature program called the Blueprint Learning Program, I help yoga teachers build their skills in the area of learning anatomy, and along with that, help them learn important business skills and personal development ways of being that will transform them into purpose-driven teachers who make a big impact. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. For more information and to get on the wait list for any of my programs, see my website, barebonesyoga.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 91. So I'm recording this on August 24th, 2020. So we are nearing the end of the summer. And I know this has been a really strange and different and uh, just really um, just un totally unexpected summer. I know for a lot of, uh, a lot of you, you've probably, um, you know, just had to reinvent your whole <laughs> kind of way of being because of the pandemic. And um, like I often say, I'm really looking forward to a time when we listen back to some of these episodes where I refer to the pandemic at the beginning and we have that behind us. Um, I really know that and have faith that there is going to be that time. And um, I continue to just use the idea of perspective rather than getting 100% all the time mired in the details. I often find myself looking for opportunities to step back, even to compare how things were uh, for me here in Boston, at least between March and May, and then May and what is essentially now September 1st, I can definitely see there have been a lot of shifts. And while many of them are concerning, um, I, I know, you know, in my world here in the yoga community, there have been studios that have closed and then countless other closures that have been related to the pandemic outside the yoga industry. So here in Boston, we've had quite a few restaurants that have closed and retail stores. However, even despite that, I, um, I really just try to step back and look for other things that are shifting in the right direction. Um, certainly for us here in Massachusetts, we've had a really um, steady decline for the most part in the positivity rate. So that has been just really through the commitment and the diligence of the people that live here. And um, you know, wherever you are, I just, I just offer you that as a potential strategy. I know that, you know, there are lots of um, articles on the internet about ways to get through this and different strategies to decrease stress and all of that. So I'm sure you're in part kind of inundated with suggestions. I only, I only start with that because I think that while this is uh, in the forefront of our minds, it would be 
really remiss of me to start these episodes and just not acknowledge that. I was actually listening to somebody else's podcast and there was no mention of it. And I kind of feel like while we don't want to dwell on it, it's, it's kind of weird to not even acknowledge it, especially for us as yoga teachers, where much of our way of making a living has been upended because the main way that we make a living is by being with people face to face. So um, I'm actually hoping over the next couple episodes, I'll be able to get a friend of mine to come onto the podcast. He's one of the few studios in Boston that is open right now. And I, I am really, really interested in getting him on so he can talk about what it's been like as a studio owner uh, opening up during this time and adhering to the distancing guidelines and all of what you have to adhere to limiting capacity and, and just how is it teaching right now in person. So look for that in, in the coming weeks. So here we are, we're at episode 91, and I wanted to start out with a little bit of a chit chat around mindset. And mindset isn't always the best word for it. Um, I think mindset's kind of a basket term uh, and kind of overused. What I really want to talk about is a potential um, reframe. And reframe is uh, a term I really um, prefer to use when it really speaks to what I'm offering, um, offering you as a listener. And the idea of reframing something really comes, I mean, you might hear about it in conversation. However, my um, understanding of what it means to reframe something lies in the study of the brain. And when we look at neuroscience and neuroscience techniques, we, um, we see in the writings of different people who are um, neuroscience coaches and scientists of neuroscience um, that they talk about reframing as a, as a mind technique. I also, before I forget, and I'm actually just pulling my phone up, if you really are getting into these conversations about neuroscience that I refer to many times in, our, in the podcast here, I want to give you a tip. If you go on Instagram and look up Andrew Huberman, the Huberman Lab at Stanford, it's H-U-B like boy, E-R-M-A-N, Huberman Lab. Um, Andrew, uh, Dr. Huberman is a professor of neuroscience and the lab director at Stanford. And he is 100% dedicated to providing brain research and education. And his Instagram is the bomb. It is so, so amazing, so educational. There's so much good stuff for us as yoga teachers uh, to learn about the brain because our role as teachers is really to communicate with people. And the more we understand about how people learn, uh, the more effective uh, we can be as a teacher. So I would definitely direct you to that. And I would also highly recommend you look up the Rich Roll podcast uh, where he interviews Dr. Huberman. It was about a month ago. And if you just um, Google Rich Roll, Andrew Huberman, you're going to get that podcast episode. It's unbelievable. And then I'll just say one more thing. If you're not listening to the Rich Roll podcast and you are a yoga teacher, you're really missing out on a huge free content opportunity to learn more about the brain, the body, 
science, neuroscience, biology, anatomy, uh, mental health. His podcast um, is just unbelievable. If you're not familiar with Rich, he is a uh, world-renowned triathlete. Um, he wrote the book, Finding Ultra. He is a, actually a Stanford graduate himself, I believe, um, and a practicing attorney who kind of over the years of being an attorney uh, wore himself down to the point where he was an addict and hit rock bottom. And the book Finding Ultra is his story of coming out of rock bottom, getting into uh, athletics. Uh, he was already an athletic person, a college swimmer, but he got into um, triathlete, triathlons and really excelled. And um, his podcast is a hugely popular podcast, very science-based. And I think as yoga teachers, we tend to be science-based. And so I think you'll really enjoy that. But at a minimum, I would uh, check out Andrew Huberman, Huberman Lab on Instagram and listen to his podcast episode with Rich Roll. So um, in terms of some reframes I wanna offer you, I'm gonna go over three. The first one is the statement. And all of these are statements that I hear from yoga teachers. I am not making these things up uh, just off my head. I, over the past several years, have completely just immersed myself in having conversations with yoga teachers, hence the name of my podcast, um, and look for as many chances I can to get people on Zoom calls with me, to chat with them via comments they make on my social media, to do one-off coaching calls with teachers that I don't charge for, all in an effort to really understand what are the challenges that yoga teachers are facing. And although today, in today's environment, given the pandemic, the challenges related to the pandemic and how it's impacted how you teach are certainly unique, there are global challenges that live in the way yoga teachers think that I have found are universal. And so the three things I'm gonna share with you today, I hear all the time from teachers, it doesn't matter where they live, what country they're in, what their background is, these are things that teachers always, always say to me. And, and the reason I bring these things up, if you, when you hear them, if you think to yourself, oh, she's calling me out, I'm not calling you out if you've had this feeling. I want you to um, maybe think about it from the point of view of you're not alone in feeling this way. And I think sometimes that can be helpful for people to know that it's not just them. They're not the only ones thinking like this. Um, the issue is, if everybody continues to think in a limiting belief sort of way or connect themselves to this limiting belief, it's only going to be a select few who learn how to move past that limiting belief and move forward. And let's face it, you know, I'm talking about it from the perspective of reframing a thought. What, what a thought is really in this scenario is a limiting belief. And a limiting belief is usually something that's based in being afraid about something. Um, you might feel it as feeling overwhelmed. However, what's really, if I push overwhelm a little bit, I dive a little bit deeper into that, there's fear underneath there most of the time. Um, it can be different from person to person. That's in my experience in talking to teachers and talking them through different 
limiting beliefs that they have, oftentimes what they end up saying is, I'm afraid of something. I'm afraid of failing. I'm afraid someone's going to call me out on not knowing the right information. Um, I'm afraid my business isn't going to succeed. I'm afraid of getting up in front of people. You know, if you kind of peel away the layers, oftentimes that's where you end up. So the first thing I want to uh, offer or I want to share as a as something that I hear oftentimes from teachers is this idea of there's so much to learn. And I hear that a lot when teachers send me emails and they say things like, you know, here I am and I'm new and I'm teaching and I'm finding that there's so much to learn. Or I might be doing a live training with a group of teachers and maybe they're teachers that are enrolled in my program or maybe they are teachers enrolled in a studio 200 hour program and I'm doing the anatomy part. And you know, oftentimes we begin the session and I check in with them and there's these long faces. Oh, there's just so much to learn. And I think I've mentioned this before, so I apologize if for you this is a repeat. Um, however, if you haven't heard this conversation before, I think it's really important because if you can move past your feeling completely overwhelmed by the volume of information that there is to learn, you are going to find amazing freedom and joy in teaching. However, if you continue to focus on how much there is to learn, you are setting yourself up to always feel overwhelmed and to really, in a lot of ways, be paralyzed around starting to take positive action and doing things like setting up private sessions with people, setting up Zoom calls, asking people that you work with if you want, if they are interested in, you know, doing some yoga at work, whatever it is, um, calling yoga studios nearby and seeing if they're looking for more teachers to teach virtual classes. I mean, a lot of these suggesting, suggestions I'm giving you are germane to what's happening right now uh, because of the pandemic. If we didn't have the pandemic, my suggestions would be a little different. You know, they would be, things that involve more in-person marketing of yourself. Um, be that as it may, I think you get the point, right? So let's just talk about this a little bit. Is there a lot to learn when it comes to being a yoga teacher? Hell yes. If we hone in just on the anatomy part, is there a lot to learn about anatomy? Hell yes, there is. Now I can tell you in my 15 years of teaching, um, my prior, you know, kind of learning of anatomy as an undergraduate and, you know, my clinical work when I graduated from school and started to work in the clinical setting and then moved on to, you know, I've mentioned this before, you know, I always am learning new things about anatomy. However, I eat it up. This entire pandemic, I have just bought online courses. I've hooked up with all these other reputable sources who transition to online webinars on a weekly basis um, within two weeks of the shutdown in March. So I have this whole like new access to information and schedule on a weekly basis of things I read, podcasts I listen to, webinars that I attend, all around <clears throat> relearning um, and new learning. Of anatomy and it's always amazing to me how I can hear the same things again and learn it again 
I can hear similar information presented in a different way and learn something new. I mean, this is no mystery. I'm, I'm not telling you something that you probably don't know. However, I still hear that same thing from teachers. And the reason I want to bring it up is because I want, first of all, what I really like to offer you is an opportunity to never say that again. Like I really would challenge you to take that statement, there's so much to learn, completely out of your vocabulary. Because all that does is just put that out there, not as an excuse, but essentially as a barrier. Something that is inherently telling yourself, and what's the other part of that statement? And I'm never gonna be able to learn it all. Right? I mean, let's face it, even if you're the most positive person sitting there saying there's so much to learn is basically telling your subconscious, I'm never going to be able to learn it. And so when you have that self-defeating perspective, it becomes really, really difficult to take positive steps forward. So the reframe, instead of there is so much to learn, you could even keep the wording and just change how you say it. Like if I log on to those training calls and the teachers say, oh my God, I'm so glad we're here for this session. There is so much to learn and I can't wait to get at it. Right? So, I mean, I just added that little tagline on the end. I, again, this is not magic, friends. I mean, what I'm saying is not magic. It's common sense. However, this is again why I refer you to sources, reputable sources like the Huberman Lab at Stanford and, their, and, and Dr. Huberman's teachings. Because when you start to study the brain and you start to understand how people think, you realize pretty quickly how so much of how we see the world is shaped by our beliefs. And while we might not get into this with our students, because obviously they're not talking to us, you can bet we deal with this kind of thing when we look at our own growth. And when we look at our own growth as teachers, where we often get tripped up, has less to do with not knowing what to do and more to do with feeling immobilized around doing anything. And the reason for that often lives in one of these self-limiting beliefs. So that's the first one. So the reframe, just to wrap that one up, the reframe is instead of there's so much to learn, how about we reframe it and we say, I'm so excited that there is such a huge wealth of information out there for me to dive into to learn anatomy. Let's just kind of niche it down into that topic. Um, the next thing that I sometimes hear from teachers is, you know what, I'm going to just keep doing what I'm doing for now. And it's usually around things like they want to try something different in terms of learning anatomy, or they want to take on, you know, maybe some additional um, classes, or maybe right now they want to take on some online opportunities, uh, given the pandemic and its impact on their local area and how teachers are teaching. And, you know, we'll talk through something and then the person, the teacher will say, you know what, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing for now. Now, first of all, I get that. I, I think right now more than ever, teachers are on some level trying to kind of keep things somewhat stable because so much is in flux and kind of there's like this big question mark over everything. However, what I will say to you is this, there is nothing that will improve your mood and just improve how you feel about yourself 
than when you take action. And on some level, it doesn't even need to be right action. I'm not saying go out and do something completely illogical. However, what I am saying is do something. Because oftentimes, the reason I hear that statement, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing for now. I, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing for now. The reason I hear that statement is because the person is stuck. They are unable to take any action. And so what ends up happening then? Nothing, right? You don't make more money. You don't challenge yourself. You don't grow. You don't make new connections. You don't learn something new. You don't learn how to translate anatomy into cues. You don't take a chance on yourself and on and on and on. All you're left with is just the status quo. Now, on some level, for some teachers, the status quo is okay, right? They've waited out and they've decided that to, to do something for whatever reason is just more effort than I have to expend right now. And that could be in the realm of money, it could be in the realm of changing their schedule, it could be in the realm of having the availability to make a change, right? Especially right now where there are so many new things that people are responsible for, whether you're homeschooling your kids, um, and I don't mean legitimately homeschooling, I mean your kids are doing distance learning and now you're essentially being a teacher, um, whether you have a sick relative, whether, God forbid, you've lost something someone due to COVID. You know, obviously there are a lot of variables and sometimes it makes good sense from a self-preservation standpoint to say that, right? I'm going to just keep doing what I'm doing for now, which translated could mean I'm basically trading water here, people, and, and this is all I can do right now. You know, I had a, a, a teacher email me the other day with just basically some comments like, I just want to let you know, I am not completely um, uninterested in moving forward with my learning as a yoga teacher in anatomy. It's just that I have a really sick relative right now and that's taking up a lot of my time. And so, yes, you need to make the decision, the assessment of your situation to know if that's what's going on with you. I'm just suggesting that if there's not something like that, think about, instead of saying, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing for now. So that could mean I'm going to keep buying books on anatomy and reading them on my own. I'm going to keep, you know, doing what I'm doing to learn anatomy myself, which involves reading books, going through YouTube, you know, whatever it is, um, to try to answer my own questions on my own. And just ask yourself, is there another way that you could be chunking things out so that you're more successful at your attempts to learn what you need to know. If it's not about anatomy, maybe it's about something else, right? So that's just a possible reframe there. And then the last one is, and, and I've heard this a couple of times, not as often, um, but I have heard this a couple of times from teachers where they say there's, and this is COVID related, there's so much this pandemic has cost the yoga industry. I'm not sure how it will recover. And, you know, I can certainly say for myself here in Boston, you know, both studios I teach at are closed for good. Um, and so I would be a perfect person to say, wow, for me personally, how am I ever going to go back to teaching in person? Both places I taught at for 11, 10 and 11 years. One place I taught for 11 years, one place I taught for 10 years. They're closed. Um, however, <laughs> I don't dwell on that. Um, 
the other big part of my face-to-face -face teaching was working with children through various contract contracts I had with nonprofits and preschools. And I don't, I have not done any in-person children's yoga since March um, because the schools are not allowing outside vendors in. However, over the past two weeks, I created an entirely new program called Preschool Learning Pods, where I'm offering to parents the opportunity for me to teach their kids outside and to invite up to two other kids from the neighborhood who the child already knows for an outdoor preschool session, which involves more than just yoga, it involves other preschool age activities, learning activities um, for a group of up to three kids. And I would have never come up with that idea if it were not for the pandemic and if it were not for all the stories I've seen I had seen, I have been seeing on the news about how parents are afraid to send their preschoolers back to preschool. So, you know, again, I wish COVID never happened. However, I'm really excited about this opportunity to work with small groups of preschoolers outside and lead them through more than just yoga related activities. Um, so again, just kind of looking for if you zoom out and we can kind of project a year from now, this will be behind us and we will be in a different kind of teaching environment. So rather than saying, I'm not sure how it will recover, what can you do right now to pivot in a way from what you've been doing to even something more than the Zoom teaching, right? Even something more than teaching online yoga for the studio you taught at in person, more than teaching online yoga for people on your own kind of mailing list and in your own network of, of, of contacts. Is there something additional that you could do? Could you offer outdoor private sessions? Could you, would you be um, open to going to someone's home and doing just a one-on-one -on -one session with them if they had a room with really good ventilation? I mean, here in Massachusetts, there is in-person massage happening. The client is masked. The massage therapist is masked. Is that something you feel comfortable with? You know, like there's that whole other basket of considerations that has to do with where you live, what the positivity rate is, what precautions are you going to implement to decrease the risk to both you and the, and the client. Um, however, with the right scenario, teaching someone one-on-one, -on -one, which by the way, is a much more lucrative opportunity for you as a yoga teacher than teaching group classes. I mean, I was recently talking to a teacher uh, who is back to teaching in person because the state she lives in is one where that's happening and she's getting $30 a class. I mean, after we spend the time and money to learn how to teach yoga, that is, you know, I, I know that many of you listening to this are probably getting paid less than 50 bucks a class. You have to make the decision as to if that is worth it for you. Um, in my opinion, it's really um, anything less than 50 bucks an hour is really too low. And that's a whole other topic that we can discuss on the podcast, the business side, rate setting, asking for what you're worth, 
acknowledging what's going on in the market, obviously now more than ever. So if you'd like to um, have me go into that in a future podcast, I want you to send me a direct message on Instagram and say, yes, I want to hear more about business type topics on the podcast. Um, so those are three, those are three things, three reframes I, I offer you here. So I want to um, make a little shift here and give you a little preview of what the anatomy-based topic is that we're going to talk about today. And um, I want you to think about from an anatomical perspective, if you've ever, I, I don't know if any of you are running for exercise, certainly during the lockdown, running became one of my savior type activities along with walking around the neighborhood, listening to podcasts and, and um, doing yoga at home. When you run, or even if you are walking around and people are running past you, do you ever notice how sometimes from a biomechanical and stride perspective, their hips don't stay level as they run? And you can think of running in a way like a balancing activity because one foot's off the ground then the other foot's off the ground. So it's almost like similar to a balancing posture in yoga where you're standing still with one foot off the ground here you're moving right so it's even harder and i don't know about you but i oftentimes notice this when i go for a run i look at the person in front of me and i notice if something is off with their stride and i start to wonder like what that could be about um, the other place you may notice it is when you're teaching you know obviously it's harder if you're harder to notice this when you're teaching online however um if you remember back to when you were teaching in person, watching people's hips when you have them do a pose like tree and noticing hip drop, which is kind of the technical term for it, where one hip is lower than the other. And um, just think if maybe you've ever noticed that when people are doing balancing poses. Um, it doesn't always come up so much in a pose like dancer's pose where the pelvis is uh, anteriorly tipped, but definitely in a posture like tree or, um, uh, where you have them grab their knee or their big toe, that utita hasta padangustasana, right? So that posture where their pelvis is front facing and really should stay level, you'll definitely notice hip drop in those two postures. And if you've noticed that, have you ever thought, I wonder why that's happening, right? You've probably definitely noticed it and thought, man, I'd certainly like to be able to correct them from that. So the question would then be, do you have any idea why that hip drop is happening? And so this is really a good example of how knowing what's going on under the skin can really make a difference when it comes to providing cues or maybe providing modifications or answering students' questions um, or even being able to change your sequence on the fly. I mean, can you shift your cues on, your, on the spot where when you're not really sure why the hip drop is happening. I mean, you really can't. You're really only left with the option to say, hey, don't drop your hips or hey, make your hips level. And while sometimes that might be enough for the practiced, really aware and conditioned student, you know, they might have a chance at being able to self-correct. For many students, they're not going to because maybe there's some muscle weakness there. Maybe that cue isn't enough to really get them into the proper alignment. And if you don't know what's going on under the skin, you're just not going to be able to offer them cues that are going to be effective and targeted enough to be able to give them what they need 
to correct the pose so that it is more in alignment. And again, keep in mind when I say in alignment, you know, what I'm really speaking to is the ability for your cues to translate well enough so that the student can activate the muscles that they need to concentrically contract so that the posture is more in line. And again, in line or aligned, correct, you know, whatever term you want to use, what it really reflects oftentimes when people are out of alignment is an underlying muscle weakness. And sometimes that weakness can, that muscle weakness can be, um, or the, let's say the converse, the strength, the possible strength of the muscle can be triggered if the cue speaks to the muscle. But if the teacher doesn't know what muscles are responsible for creating stability or strength in a particular posture, then the student doesn't have a chance to activate that muscle. And therefore that muscle stays weak. So this is where all of the anatomy knowledge, this is one of the ways where all of the anatomy knowledge really translates to a powerful impact on your students. So much more than just that posture, because as you start to wake that muscle up and give them more opportunities to understand what it does, you give them a greater chance to strengthen muscles that are weak, which translates to better health in their body, better stability in their body, better stability just in the overall structure, less opportunity for muscle compensations to show up. I mean, this is, you know, friends, this is really what it comes down to when we think about really understanding anatomy and sharing it in understandable ways. It is so much more than just teaching them poses. And that's why I love having these opportunities to have conversations like this because I really want to broaden your understanding of why learning anatomy is so, so important and so helpful to your students. It's so much more than just being able to share it in the poses, and that's a good example there. So today we're gonna to look at muscles of the lateral hip, specifically gluteus minimus, gluteus medius, tensor fascia lata, and the iliotibial band. And we'll look at a couple of other ones that are um, involved as well. And again, remember when I started this conversation out, I said, hey, let's look at um, what helps keep the pelvis level. So I want you to kind of envision a skeleton and envision the pelvis. If you envision the skeleton where the person is standing, where the skeleton is facing forward and the pelvis is level, that's kind of our home base of shapes, anatomical position. And when you think of the lateral hip stabilizers, which is kind of the topic of this conversation here, think lateral means outside to the side. So think about muscles that live on the side of your hip starting from, I guess you could say, the top of your pelvis. So if you take your hand and put it on your hip and you feel the top rim of the pelvis, starting there and running all the way down the lateral aspect of your thigh, ending at your tibia. So that's the area we're talking about. So the first muscle we're gonna talk about is underneath, and then we're gonna kind of move from what is uh, the deepest muscle to what is most, um, uh, accessible, right? Most to the outside. I don't know why I'm blanking on the in, uh, inferior <laughs> or no, um, 
uh, I'm blanking on the term. Anyway, um, so we'll go deep and then we'll work to superficial. That's what I mean, deep to superficial. So first let's look at the gluteus minimus. Now remember, the glutes uh, have three parts, gluteus maximus on the posterior hip, gluteus minimus and gluteus medius, both being on the lateral aspect of the hip. So when we look at gluteus minimus, we're looking at uh, origin of ilium to the pel uh, ilium of the pelvis. So the ilium is one portion of the pelvis on the lateral hip, inserting on the femur. So that's gluteus minimus. And then on top of gluteus minimus is gluteus medius, which has a similar placement and orientation. So its uh, origin is the ilium again to the femur, specifically the, the greater trochanter of the femur. And the greater trochanter of the femur is um, basically a part of the femur itself, kind of a notch where many, I don't know how many, but I know there are a number of muscles. I think even the psoas ends on the greater trochanter. It might be the lesser trochanter. But essentially you can think of those two points on the femur as attachment points for the muscles. And when you think of an attachment point, sometimes when you look at the surface of the bone and the texture of the bone itself, it's not flat, right? It's almost got a texture to it where the tendon of the muscle can kind of latch onto it. So you've got gluteus minimus is the deepest, then you move more superficially, you get gluteus medius, and then you get tensor fascial lata also on the lateral aspect of the hip. And that runs from the posterior ASIS, which is the anterior superior iliac spine. So if you take your right hand and you put it on the back of your hip and you feel the ridge of the pelvic bone, that's your posterior and your posterior uh, iliac spine. And it runs down, the tensor fascial lateral runs down the lateral aspect of your hip to the iliotibial band and then continues on as the IT band. So one thing to consider is that the TFL or the tensor fascia lata is muscle. It's, it's, inter, it's um, supplied by blood. It's red when you look at it, just like all the other muscles are. However, it merges with the iliotibial band, which is fascia. The IT band is not muscle, it is fascia. It is white, it is not innervated by blood. It has all the qualities that fascia does, meaning it's a connective tissue which has ground substance and collagen fibers and all of what fascia has, which is again, another separate podcast episode we could have just on fascia. Here, we're talking about the IT band as a continuation of what started as the TFL, tensor fascia lata, merged into the iliotibial band and the IT band runs all the way down the lateral aspect of your leg on the thigh and inserts on the lateral condyle of the tibia. So when I look at someone's outer hip and I wanna point out the lateral hip stabilizers, I wanna look at what muscles are on the lateral aspect of the hip. And so I have gluteus medius, gluteus minimus is underneath that. I have the TFL, tensor fascia lata, which then merges into the iliotibial band, the IT band, runs down the lateral aspect of the thigh, inserts on the condyle of the tibia. Now, you can imagine that whole lateral line of musculature provides support. So it's kind of like, you know, two 
two strong stakes in the ground of sorts that are just kind of on the outside of the hip. Then I can also look at what else touches the hip that might be involved in helping people keep the hips level. So then I've got muscles like the quadratus lumborum, which uh, is known as a side bending muscle, also known as the QL. And the quadratus lumborum connects to the posterior iliac crest, very similar to the tensor fascia lata. So if you take your right hand and you put it on the back of your pelvis there and you feel for that ledge of your pelvis, that's in part what the QL touches. It also touches the lower rib and the lumbar vertebrae. It is involved, as I said, in side bending. However, because it touches the pelvis, it is definitely gonna be involved in keeping the pelvis level. Another muscle we can think about is the transversus abdominis, which runs around the belly and helps in keeping the integrity of the midsection of the body. If you were to um, contract the transversus abdominis, you would ask people to cinch the sides of the body in. So given that it runs completely around your midsection and attaches in part to your pelvis itself, again, that's another good candidate for a muscle that helps you keep your pelvis level and for a muscle that if it is weak, you potentially could have hip drop. So the other thing to keep in mind is that those lateral hip stabilizers also in their true concentric action act as hip abductors, abductors, meaning when you stand in warrior two, your hips are abducted. When you stand in triangle, when you stand in a straddle, when you do like the, remember like the Jane Fonda leg lifts, when you lay on your side and you lift your right leg and you're kind of doing like the thigh master thing, but with straight legs, that's hip abduction. So those muscles that run on the lateral aspect of the hip are hip abductors. They also are lateral hip stabilizers just by their placement. So these are the muscles that are involved in helping keep the pelvis level when you're standing on one leg or even when you're standing on two feet. Um, however, you're just upping the ante a bit when you have the person lift the foot. So how would you engage these muscles? You could ask the student to squeeze the sides of the body in towards the midline, almost like adduction. You could ask them to hug the side of their, sides of their waist in, contracting the transversus abdominis. You could regress, if they were in a balance, you could regress the pose by having them drop their leg and then notice the position of their pelvis and then lift the leg and see if they can maintain a level pelvis. That's an idea. You could regress it even more by having them supine on the floor, so lay on their back and cue them through an exercise to bring awareness to the position of their pelvis and then progress them to standing and with both feet flat, cue them to notice the position of their pelvis. And then progress the pose by having them with the toe down, like let's say you're gonna have them do tree, have them do it with the toe down on the ground. And then progress it further by having them take the foot up the leg, all the while with each successive progression, seeing if they can keep the pelvis level. And you know, so that's a way, and all the while you're cueing them, hug in, hug the sides of the body in, root into the standing leg. Um, so what can you do with all of this? So what, you know, what can you do with all this information? So you can learn the muscles of the lateral hip so that you have a good understanding of their origin, insertion, and concentric action. I already gave you a really good head start just in this conversation here. 
You can identify poses where they act as abductors and then where they act as lateral stabilizers. So again, those muscles of the lateral hip act as abductors in straddle type positioning. They act as lateral stabilizers in balance. That's, I'm, I'm kind of giving you the information, but you can kind of list out some poses that fall into each category. You can then develop a repertoire of cues that you can use to help students when you see hip drop, right? What are you gonna say? Now you've done the studying, right? What are you gonna say to them? Cause you're not gonna just rattle off the stuff that you studied. You're gonna have to figure out a way to say it in a succinct and understandable way. And then the last thing you can do with this information is you can build a sequence where the theme is to strengthen the lateral hip stabilizers. If you go back to what uh, I was mentioning earlier and this idea that sometimes what we see as a misalignment or poor alignment is really a reflection of a weak muscle. And so if you, you know, if you go into the research, you'll find there are some muscles that are chronically weak in the population because of the way we posturally hold our bodies. Um, however, some of the weakness is obviously just going to be germane to a group of people or a specific person you're working with one-on-one. -on -one. So in this case, if you build a sequence where the theme is to strengthen the lateral hip stabilizers, you give everybody a really good chance to strengthen those muscles. And, you know, unless someone has overactive hip stabilizers, it's always good to, you know, give people an opportunity to strengthen them. So you may hear that list of suggestions and you may start to feel overwhelmed and, you know, you might say to yourself, okay, those four suggestions are great. I'm just not sure how I'm going to do all of that. And that's okay, right? That's okay. The reason I shared those action steps with you is because I want you to see how there's a whole other step that has to come after the knowing of the information. I could keep doing podcasts and I could just do the podcast and just share the knowledge. However, if I don't share how you're going to translate that knowledge into what you say, how you sequence, how you cue, how you answer students' questions, then it's really in part almost knowledge for nothing, right? It's knowledge that you gain, that you have in your head, that you don't have a template through which you can um, share. And so this is really where um, the bridge has to be built. And, and this is like, if you think about that self-limiting thought that I mentioned at the beginning, there's so much to learn. Yeah, there is a lot to learn about anatomy. However, if you're just doing the learning and the learning and the learning without the next step of how to apply it, number one, it is completely overwhelming because you just keep opening your brain and dumping more knowledge in. And number two, you're learning it without learning how to apply it. And that's where the teaching skill lies in the application, right? I can teach anatomy to anybody. However, if I want to teach them how to use anatomy as a teacher, that's a different skill set. That's a different skill set. It's taking the knowledge and then applying it in ways that people will get it without, as students, feeling overwhelmed. So if you're looking for ways to do this, 
If you're looking for ways that you can learn and learn how to apply, get on the wait list for my blueprint waiting, uh, blueprint learning program. My blueprint learning program is my signature program that I use to teach teachers anatomy. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because my passion is helping yoga teachers do this. And my knowledge of what's happening out there is that they're not learning how to do this. And so I have a passion to help yoga teachers learn this. And the framework within which I teach them is my signature program, the Blueprint Learning Program. So if you want to get on the wait list for that so that you can enroll the next time I open enrollment, or at least look at the offer and decide if it's for you, just go to my website and the link for the wait list is right on the homepage. I also want to let you know that this coming Thursday, I'm doing another free workshop and it's going to be about cues and anatomy. And so that's going to be this Thursday at one o'clock Eastern. And if you go on my website, barebonesyoga.com, you'll see on the events page, I've got the sign up right there. If any of this you don't remember, you're listening to this podcast, you're walking around, just send me a DM on Instagram, barebonesyoga. If you're not on Instagram, just send me an email, karen at barebonesyoga.com. So um, one more thing that I'll just add about the Blueprint Learning Program. I sent out a note, a note to my mailing list yesterday. And if you're not on my VIP mailing list, I'm just mentioning it here just so you know it's out there as an option. Between now and Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, if you want a tour, a virtual tour of the Blueprint Learning Program, um, I am doing that as a, a way to kind of show teachers what's involved, show them what they get when they buy the course, show them what they get with the course. There's, um, there's an anatomy manual that I wrote. There are coaching calls that they get. There's free access to my monthly membership, which is the Bare Bones Yoga Practice Portal. So I'm doing these kind of virtual tours of the Blueprint Learning Program to kind of pull back the curtains so that teachers who are considering enrolling in the program already know what's involved. They've already seen it. They see how organized it is. They see the testimonials from other teachers who have gone through it. They see kind of the navigation in the course. They see all the sequences in the portal. So I wanna offer you an opportunity to get one of those virtual tours. So I'm doing them between now and Wednesday at five and you can email me as well uh, to set that up. So I wanna thank you so much for listening. If you've reached this point in the podcast, it means you're still with me, you're still listening. And I really, really appreciate your time. I value your time. And if you have any suggestions or feedback on the podcast, put a review on iTunes, send me an email, comment on social media. If you're looking for specific topics to be discussed, do the same through any of those routes as well, because I'd lo love to, um, to do a, a podcast that touches on something you're interested in. So I wanna thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a good week. And I'll see you next time on the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian. And I just want to remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, the Blueprint Learning Program and my mentorship program, all you need to do is visit my website, 
barebonesyoga.com and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.